Good evening and welcome to the HHH Racing Podcast, episode 116. I'm your host, Howard Kravitz. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. We've got a fantastic show. Actually, back-to-back shows. We're going to have a fantastic show tomorrow also. But we have a TVG doubleheader, so to speak, with some great guests uh, on your talent from TVG. As tonight, we discuss a fantastic, fantastic card this Saturday at Santa Anita, part of the first Saturday Spectacular 15 stake races. It's going to be incredible. Please make sure you subscribe right there on the bottom right-hand side of the screen. I know a lot of you watch, but some of you don't subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Also, smash the notification bell so that you know when new content will arise. And then, of course, also hit that thumbs up button. They'll tell YouTube this is a fantastic show. As you can see in my name tag, you can reach me, as you know, through Twitter, at hkravitz. And also on the scroll at the bottom of the screen, through email, hkravitzhorse at gmail.com. Uh, before we bring on our guests, and we have a lot to talk to, so I'm going to be pretty quick here. Uh, we have many different promotions going on right now. Let me go ahead and bring onto the screen, as you can see. If you go to my YouTube channel and you just go ahead and click on live right now to the San Anita Stakes, there you can see it right there. You can see us live right now. And you go below, you can see, there it is. You can see right here. Uh, again, below the uh, screen there. I have three different, very exciting promotions going right now. BetUS, a fantastic betting avenue that you can try. BetUS, again, you have to deposit a minimum $50 on a credit card and use the promo code RACING3H, and you get free 125% of your deposit. Go ahead and check that out. Also, I have a fantastic race day blog through Patreon, as you can see there on, on the screen. And then also a podcast pool. If you're interested in buying into the podcast pool, I think you'd really enjoy it. We pool our money together to try to smash some pick fives, pick sixes, etc. Again, a lot of great promotions. So please check below the video player there where it says show more. And you can see all of the promotions going on. Uh, last thing I will tell you about, I don't think our guest knows this yet. So we'll just put it on the screen. I'm very proud. For some of you who do not know, next month, there it is on the screen, next month, I will be with Todd Shrupp and maybe Simon Bray, and I'm sure Scott Hazelton will be there. I will be on set as Todd has invited me uh, to be on for a little while. I'm really excited to make my national TV debut. Uh, so our, I know our, our guest uh, will be there and um, maybe we'll have some uh, bourbon or some <laughs> a beverage after the show uh, because he is very uh, immersed in the life of Keelan Racetrack, as we'll be uh, talking about as well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's not waste any more time. We've got a lot of handicapping and a lot to do. I'm very excited to bring on this guest, a fellow uh, Chicagoan. Uh, I've known his family indirectly for a long time, had the pleasure to meet him just for a few seconds uh, on Pegasus Day at Gulfstream, and now we have the honor of having him on the show here for the entire hour. Let's bring on from TVG, Scott Hazelton. Scott, how you doing tonight? Doing well, Howard. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Now you had a busy day, and uh, of course, a lot of people watch TVs, and you were on with Dave Weaver for several hours today. So we really do appreciate you 
uh, coming on the show. Uh, let me just jump off right away because we have a lot to talk about, of course, with Sam Nita this weekend and Gulfstream with uh, the Stronach Group and First Bet putting on a tremendous, tremendous card. Uh, how are you doing, first of all? How's the family? What's new in, in California? Things are good. I mean, things are uh, going to be a bit rainy this weekend. I know that uh, you caught it, but we just uh, talked about it on TVG. They're actually going to push the, the Friday card at Santa Anita to Monday. So we'll have Monday racing at Santa Anita. It's not going to impact the, the Saturday card, which is highlighted by the Santa Anita Handicap, part of that 15-race coast-to-coast uh, back and forth between Gulfstream and Santa Anita. But uh, 90%, around 90% chance of rain in Arcadia. So that's what's going on here in Southern California. It's just the era we live in. I mean, that's you know, they, they've done this before. I think that we'll see it uh, again where we see these uh, race cards get uh, postponed or canceled or whatever. But in this instance, they're being proactive and moving it to Monday. And so that means on Monday, we're not only going to have Santa Anita, but Golden Gate as well. They, they, they decided this was decided well before today that they weren't going to have racing on Saturday at Golden Gate because of the big days uh, between Gulfstream and Santa Anita. And they were going to instead have a Monday card. So we're going to have West Coast racing on Monday between Golden Gate and down at Santa Anita. So looking forward to that. And Dave Weaver uh, heading up to Golden Gate on Monday. Yeah, as we heard on, on the show. And you will not be seeing him because you will have a well-deserved vacation with your wife, from what I understand. It's crazy. The weather's been so nice you know, there for quite a while. And then, of course, on the big day, we got to get some rain. But I've only seen a little bit of rain Friday. I think it's more precautionary what they're doing. And it's probably a good idea. I just hope and pray. No issues with the turf course on Saturday, Scott, because there's been some issues lately and we don't want that to happen on a big day of racing. Uh, A few quick topics to talk to you about, Scott, then we'll do our uh, famous 10 minutes to post segment and jump right into the handicapping. So first of all, uh, we have a lot of uh, experienced viewers and listeners on the show, but we also have some younger viewers and people may not be too familiar familiar with you um of course those of you who know you know that you were born into the sport talk a little bit about your background and how you got into horse racing in the first place um, it's a generational uh, thing for my family uh, my grandfather um, who was born in the early 1900s trained racehorses that ran dairy cattle through the deserts of arizona my father got involved when he was about seven eight years old getting on horses for my father um, that would be in the, the mid to late 30s uh, rode match races in the desert. He was a jockey at the age of 15 in 1945 in Tijuana, Mexico at Agua Caliente when at the time Tijuana was a, a resort town. I mean, uh, people would come down from much like you see in Seabiscuit, the movie, right? And obviously yeah. in, the, in the novel um, or in the book, I should say, um, where people would come down from California to Tijuana and it would be on the weekends because they wouldn't race on the weekends in California. So my father was leading rider there in 1945 uh, at Agua Caliente in Tijuana and then uh, transitioned to becoming a trainer um, in his late teen years. And then sort of the rest is history for him. He continued on for decades, uh, all-time leading trainer at Sportsman's Park, Hawthorne Racecourse, Arlington Park, and Turf Paradise uh, made, or amassed over 4,700 victories um, that are recognized. I'm convinced that there are many more than <laughs> than that that uh, fell through the cracks when it came to, to the record keeping. But, uh, you know, that's just, that's how I found my way into it. And everybody in my family was involved in racing at some point in time in their life and continues to be. So it's been a family affair, a generational thing. I went to school for broadcasting and decided to take a different avenue to, to stay in the, in the sport. But, uh, you know, I, when I was a teenager, I realized that, that this is my family um, and it would be hard to get away from this family. And when I talk about it, I mean everybody 
that I've crossed paths with and, and, you know, especially growing up in the Chicagoland area from jocks agents to, to valets in the jocks room to jockeys and everybody in between. So um, it's, it's one of those things that once you get into it and uh, it's hard to get away from, and I've been very, very fortunate to, to call this a career for going on 18 years. I started back in 2004, right out of college. Uh, Amy Zimmerman gave me an opportunity over at HRTV and uh, it's just uh, it's gone on from that. And I've been very blessed to get a chance to do the things that I've, I've gotten to do and meet the people that I've gotten to meet and go to the places that I've gotten to go. Yeah, and I can't believe it's been almost 20 years. I feel like I've watched you for a long time. I had to do a double take when I saw that uh, you graduated college in 04. I've got you by 10 years. It seemed like you've been around uh, even longer than that. Uh, by the way, your father, of course, the King Richard Hazleton, over 40 million dollars uh in earnings and i guarantee scott i've bet his horses many many a time at all those places you've mentioned except her paradise i've not been to her paradise but i have been to arizona many times i want to show a very quick uh clip if you may tvg ran a great sequence called born into the sport and i thought a lot of viewers would enjoy we're going to show just 30 seconds about you sort of talking about your father and how you got involved in the sport by the way i you have such great people behind the scenes there at tvg that i look forward to meet actually next month but I'm my own boss. I'm the editor, the producer. The, so if you see me clicking, I got a bunch of screens. I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff. I host. I do it all. So bear with me here. As I'm going to go ahead and bring up uh, – I'm sorry. Wanda, actually, we got to bring it up so there's sound there. Uh, there we go. You can see. So anyway, um, as I go ahead and bring this up – well, let's try this one more time here. I want to make sure we got sound. There we go. So here's um, Scott talking about how he got born in – to the sport of horse racing. I'm so lucky that everywhere that I go, it doesn't matter where I go, and it doesn't matter if it's in the US, I know somebody, and I know somebody that knew my father from back in the day, or somebody that knew me when I was a child, and instantly you have that connection, hanging out with my family. That's what I do for a job, what do you do? I hang out with my family at the racetrack. We might have all different last names, but this is, one big family with the, the last name being horse racing. If you want, that's our surname, horse racing. That brings. So I thought that was just a real nice piece, Scott, that, uh, that TVG did. There's been, you know, they had many people on. I'm sure that was a, a joy to do. And every time I'm sure you see father sort of brings some nice memories back to you as well. Well, it does because uh, truthfully, that was just really a few weeks before my father passed away. So I was very lucky to, um, have those afternoons with him. And for those that haven't had a chance to see the entire uh, piece, spend uh, the afternoon with Bob Baffert, Bob speaking glowingly about my father, Bob talking about how he looked up to my father, given the Arizona ties and, you know, um, how well respected, uh, you know, he is to Bob. And, and, and the same can be said for so many other horsemen um, in this sport about my father. I'm, I'm always ready to brag about my dad, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a special uh, instance and one of those things that I, I, I get choked up when I get it, when it comes on and I get a chance to see that, but it's something that I'm very happy that we have uh, captured in time because it's one of those things that I'll be so glad once my girls get older and I, they continue to get older, my oldest is going to be 10 this summer, um, that they have that and those memories and with my grandfather or with their grandfather, I should say, and, and hearing those stories and, and what have you. So yeah, it's uh it's been a wild journey through the years. And I've, like I said before, I've been so lucky to, to meet the people that I have, not just working in, in, in the sport from the media side of things, but just going back to my childhood. I mean, the, the number of people um, that have impacted me, it's, it's hard to, uh, 
it's hard to put into words because each encounter, each person, I think I tried to take a little bit away from them and the hard work and humbleness and whatever it is um, that I learned from them. And whether it be my brother who trained horses for a number of years or obviously my father, my sister, I mean, the list goes on and on. It's just, it's been, it's been a dream come true. It's, it's really, it's really has that. There's no other way of putting it. Yeah. Those are precious pieces of film that I know that you and your family will always cherish. We have a lot of people watching. Please make sure you uh, go ahead and join that live chat in the top right-hand side of the screen, folks. I'm sure Scott would be happy to answer any questions from our viewers. We have a lot of people watching tonight. Scott, we do have a, a few things that are familiar. Not only are we both from Chicago, um, unfortunately, my father passed away four years ago, so I, I, I know how that can feel. Uh, I was also a journalism major. A lot of people find that surprising only because I'm a full-time high school math teacher, Scott. I'm actually in my 25th year. My journey is long and winding. We can talk about that forever. But So I, under, I understand the journalism background, really appreciate that. I'm sort of living out my dream of being a famous, a famous uh, sports broadcaster, so to speak, through this podcast. Harry Carey, that's who I wanted to be, Scott. Harry Carey, when I was a kid growing up, I'm sure you obviously know who that is. Let's talk very quickly. Any very briefly, any memories of ASU or being a journalism major? Did you always want to go into TV at that age? You just decided, or was it, you know, do we think about radio, other, uh, maybe print journalism? Or was TV always a thing that you just, you know, had your mind set on? It, it was always TV for me. And it wasn't always a, a goal um, in my childhood. I mean, I, I remember growing up watching uh, a lot of Sports Center, a lot of ESPN, a lot of headline news. I don't know if you remember the headline news channel and Jerome Jurenovich when he would come on with the quick blurbs of of the headline news sports updates. I can just I can remember that that voice and that segment. They were very quick, and I mean this would have been late '80s, early yeah. '90s, watching Jerome Jurenovich on headline uh, news. George Michael's Sports Machine for me was, the, was just like that. But it was it was so different then, right? Because there was no ESPN or there was very mm -hmm. little cable. I mean, any highlights you saw for like a whole month were like within five minutes on a Sunday night. George Michael's Sports Machine for me was unbelievable if you ever saw that. Yeah, I, I that's one thing I've, se I've seen. I don't remember it from those days. Okay. Um, but the the way that I got into it, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I, I was getting ready to go to school, to go to college. I, uh, my first year of college, I went to university of Illinois in Champaign, Champaign Urbana. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't have a major, uh, thought for a second that I was going to become or try to become a, a vet, a veterinarian, um, and focusing on equine, uh, you know, medicine, um, something that was very accessible and very prominent, uh, in, in the university of Illinois and down there in Champaign. But I started to think, you know, I watched my dad all the years put in the hours that he did seven days a week. I mean, the vacations that we took were very minimal when it came to family time and all that stuff. And it just it it wasn't something that appealed to me. And I, it was actually the day that the day before I was getting set to go away to college my freshman year. This would have been in 2000, the summer of 2000. We went to Arlington Park, just kind of say goodbye to everybody, family, friends, what have you at Arlington before I was being driven down to Champaign to, to start my college career. And uh, TVG was there that day. And Kate and Radar, her family, very close ties to my family. Her father, my father were friends. Obviously, Kate and thereafter being a you know Chicago product, uh, knew my father very well. I, I did not know Kate and at the time, but watched her do her thing um, from just outside the paddock there uh, at Arlington and said, this might be a way to get in to stay in horse racing and go into broadcasting, something that I had kind of thought about. 
Um, but it was a really shy kid back then. I mean, I really was. I was not outgoing. I still don't consider myself very outgoing as it stands today. But, uh, you know, that was something that sparked that idea. I went to uh, Champaign-Urbana for a semester. It wasn't for me. Came back home, went to community college in Elgin. I went to ECC for a semester to, to pick up some credits before knowing I was going out to Arizona State and majoring in broadcasting. Went through my broadcast major there, was getting towards the end of my college career, getting ready to graduate. Didn't know where, what I was going to do. Did not want to go into local news. Didn't want to go to a small market um, and, and take that path because I wanted to focus, try to get into racing. Well, uh, I still, I don't want to say hold a grudge, but still this, you know, it, it frustrated me and still to this day does. I tried to get an internship at TVG for weeks and could not get a phone call returned. I sent my resume, uh, everything that I possibly could, could not get anybody to return a phone call, an email, nothing. And thankfully, HRTV just at that time had gotten a bigger distribution deal to be on Dish Network. And my sister, who worked in racing um, in the West Coast for decades, she was an assistant racing secretary at Del Mar, uh, as well as Pomona, a stakes coordinator at Santa Anita. She was the highest ranking female official um, at the time ever in the state of California in racing. Um, she was good friends with Janine Sahadi, the, the former trainer, and in turn, very good friends with Amy Zimmerman. And Janine and Amy Zimmerman were very, very, very close. So uh, got the opportunity there to to interview with Amy Zimmerman. I did it in April of 2000. Uh, she offered me a job shortly thereafter. And I started August 1st or, of 2004. Excuse me. This would be 2004. And that's how I got started. And Amy took a shot. I mean, that's that's the only way that I can describe it. She never looked at a resume tape. She saw my resume. She knew my family. She knew my family background. I was hired as a feature producer slash reporter. Uh, I edited a lot of things, worked on commercials and things of that nature. And then that, that coming December was put on air, uh, my first shift, um, and then kept some of those dual responsibilities for, for quite a long time. But that was it. That's how it all started. And that's how I, I got into it. And then it seemed just every year that went on, or especially as the years went on, the more of them and the more experience that I got, the more uh, doors open, more opportunities came around. And I think the biggest one for me in the early portion of my career was when Curlin started to become Curlin because my family association and friendship with the Asmussen family and getting that opportunity to report on Curlin, um, not only at the Breeders' Cup, I, I was sent to the Breeders' Cup uh, at Monmouth Park in 2008. Is that what right? Crazy 2007, the weekend that was. I'll never forget that. Wow. It was. <laughs> so got a chance to cover, cover him that week. And then yeah. because of that, uh, got the opportunity, got a call, would you like to come to Dubai and cover uh, Dubai World Cup? And then that's really when things started to pick up and, you know, getting a chance to go over there and cover Curlin uh, for his Dubai World Cup at Nat Al Shiva. Um, you, you, that you was a big turning my, point. You must be seeing my rundown that I've got of questions I want to ask you. You've already covered a whole bunch of them. Um, we got a comment from uh, Tom. Tom, thanks for joining the show. You can see on the bottom of the screen there, Scott, uh, Tom is – from uh, Southern Michigan, but I know he's a fan of Chicago horse racing. So he just wants to say thank you. Uh, thanks Tom for your comments there. Ralph, HRT, whoa, we, maybe we should take that off the screen. I don't know about that. I had no comment from Scott, I'm sure there. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, we will, Dave, just let you know, Mo Donegal, yes, is out of the 
uh, Fontenot Youth. But we'll talk about that tomorrow with Simon Bray. Um, and yes, Galt is in the race. Uh, will be in the 12 hole, taking the place of Modonigal. But again, Dave, we'll talk about that tomorrow with Simon Bray when we cover uh, Gulfstream. A lot of things going on. Uh, you just mentioned our next quick topic. Um, I, I am so uh, envious and jealous, Scott, because the places you've gone is just unbelievable. I mean, I, I thought my first trips to Keeneland and Santa Anita and Del Mar <laughs> were pretty cool. Talk just very briefly about what it's like to be at Royal Ascot, Dubai. I mean, you're a pretty humble person. You're All of a sudden, you turn around, you're meeting sheikhs and kings. And, I mean, it had to be just unbelievable. Well, the first trip to Dubai was my first true international experience. I mean, I had been to Mexico, Canada. I don't know that we would really count that. But I had to, in fact, I had to get a scramble and get a passport in order to get over to Dubai the first year. And going over to the Middle East and just the, the – we went and got there in the evening – um, and just the, the, the lights, the smells, the sounds of, of Dubai and, and going out to Nad al-Sheba and then getting a chance over a dozen years of going there um, from 2008 up until just a couple of years ago uh, is the last trip that I made because of COVID um, the last I, two years. I got to interrupt you just for a second. I'm sorry to do this, but I have a little special video for you before you jump into Royal Ascot. I heard, rumor has it, at one point you were thinking of becoming a rider and I think you jumped on a certain animal to check this oh. out and, and see. I don't know. I, I don't know if you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I do. But uh, let's let's watch. I think Scott, but it was not a horse. Here he is on a camel. Let's check out <laughs> Scott Hazelton and one of his great experiences in Dubai. I guess when in uh, in Dubai, do as the Emiratis do. Pretty comfortable, not bad. This city, just cruising around. Let's go a little, a little quicker. Like Johnny Murtaugh. He's gonna go down. We'll try the, uh, the old Frankie Vittori dismounter. That's as good as I got, Frankie. That's all I got for you, man. Oh, man. <laughs> the flying dismount. Scott, that looked extremely uncomfortable. I've never been on a camel. I have to say, everyone I've heard that's been on a camel says, not a lot of fun. <laughs> They're not the smoothest movers. We'll, we'll leave it at that. And uh, they can hiss and get upset uh, pretty easily. But yeah, that was, I want to say that was 2009. Does that sound right? I think I that think was, was the 2013. final. I could look it up. Oh, that's one. Okay. okay. My, well, whatever, my anyway. That's years okay. are mixing up. It could have been 2009. I don't know. They've, they've all run together. Cool experience, yeah. though. It was a great experience. That was fun. That was down near the, the creek, which a lot of people ask me, what do you need to do if you go to Dubai? You know, I say you've got to go to the old part of town. Go to the souks. Go check out the old part of town. The new part is obviously flashy. It's very much like Vegas, new, new buildings. Yeah. Uh, they're incredible architecture and things of that nature. But go to the old part of town, and that's where that was at. And that day, you had a chance to go into a mosque and, and uh, experience a lot of other things. But, yeah, that was uh, – yeah, I, I was never had never did I at any point in my life have any ambition of being a rider in any way, shape, or form. In fact, my father <laughs> nah. used to tease me all the time and say that my grandfather would be rolling over in his grave if he saw me on a horse. And I blamed my father. I said, "It's your fault, Dad. You never showed me how to ride a horse properly." But uh, yeah, no, was that was kidding. never that was in my, the cards. That was my setup there. Uh, talk a little about Royal Ascot. We've seen you in the Tip and Tails, and just another experience that I'd love to. Uh, have at some point you've seen i mean tuppen you've seen great america i mean obviously frankel i mean just the horses you've seen i, I would assume are just unbelievable 
well, and the, the Teppen, people, of course, as well. Yeah, the Teppen year was the first year that I had a chance to go, and that was the reason I actually worked that angle to try to get over there and, and uh, to be on the, the network broadcast um, on Channel 4, which would be the equivalent of ITV now and, and obviously NBC and things of that nature. And my one of my dearest friends and one of the things that I cherish most about these trips to Dubai and, and obviously now ask it are the people that I've become friends with. And Rishi Prasad, if you've ever seen anything that Rishi does, he is one of the best broadcasters I've ever been around. He can do it all. He covers Wimbledon. He covers the big race meetings. He covers the Olympics for the BBC as well. Um, but Rishi, I called him and said, you think there's any chance I could be on the broadcast with Teppen coming over? And he said, yeah, let me let me work the angle. And it worked out. And that was the first year that I went. And then um, after that, TVG approached me and said, hey, would you like to go back? And I said, of course, I would love to go back. And every year that we've gone back there, um, I've had a chance, I think it's three or four years, having not gone the last two years, again, for obvious reasons. But ask it to me. I love Dubai. Dubai was a turning point for me in my career. But ask it is the way that if you could put together an ideal race day, Royal Ascot is it. You show up, you have lunch. The race car doesn't start until the afternoon. It's quick. It's on time. It's three, three and a half hours. The racing is first class. The betting experience is, is unique. Uh, dealing with the, the, uh, the bookmakers, whether you want to go to the tote, whatever it is, the bookmakers are great fun. Uh, betting on the queen's color of her hat, uh, getting a chance to see the queen in the royal procession, getting a chance to see the way that everybody dresses. Uh, I mean, it's just, it is just as dialed in as people and racing could possibly be. Ask it itself. It's the perfect grandstand. It's such a challenge to handicap. If you're right, you're rewarded in a big way in those big fields that we have. Obviously, the Queen Anne and the other races like the Ascot Gold Cup, you know, that you get the superstars that come there. But it is, if I was, ever, again, people have asked me these questions plenty of times. If you are a fan of racing, you need to go to Dubai, but especially go to Royal Ascot. You will not regret it. It is absolutely one of the most unique experiences that you could possibly have. And I've loved every second that I've had a chance to go over there and especially covering the racing because handicapping the racing, you, it takes on a whole new challenge. You can't just sit back and I don't want to say rely on the past performances, but uh, you know, these stakes races, we're familiar with these horses. We cover them all the time, but you have to put in the work. You, you have to study, you have to read, research, watch video back. It's a much different approach because you don't have the run lines um, to, to fall back on. But uh, Royal Ascot is from what I've experienced so far, I have ambitions. To go, I want to go to Asia. I'd love to go to Japan racing or Hong Kong. Uh, I want to go to Australia to uh, hopefully a Melbourne Cup and Arc de Triomphe. Those are the things that are on my bucket list still to come. But so far, Royal Ascot, nothing better. Yeah, I'd love to go there one time. I've actually been able to meet some people uh, from the UK on this show. We've had a guest on the show from the UK, a fantastic punter and friend of mine, Davey Lane. So um, I know he's been there and hopefully I'll have a chance to go out there at one point. One last question before, uh, and I think we're going to, just because it's such a big handicapping weekend, we'll, we'll skip the 10 minutes of post segment because I know you've had a long day. We can do that uh, on another time. So let me just ask you one more question, Scott, and then we'll get right to our handicapping. Uh, as, as many people know, you have a strong affiliation with Keeneland. You're an analyst, but you're also a U.S. sales representative. Can you talk a little bit about what, that entails and what you do for Keeneland exactly as well. Well, the analyst, um, I think speak for itself, you know, the on-site coverage that we do for, for not only TVG, but for the racetrack itself, Gabby got at myself. We do a morning show uh, called today Keeneland. It's broadcast on TVG two. Uh, it's on the watch TVG app. It's also on local stations in the Lexington area. 
Um, but the U.S. sales representative, it's it's really taken on um, a couple of different roles. Uh, you know, we're out there, we're recruiting uh, horses, mares especially, to come uh, to the Keeneland sales, the Keeneland November sale, you know, and, and representing Keeneland there and making sure people have the resources that they need uh, to, to get to the sales, to come to the sales, to get their horses to the sales, to understand the process. Because one of the things that I've uh, quickly realized. I mean, I, I've spent my entire life in racing. My first experience at a Keeneland sale was just a few years ago. I want to say 2017, 2018, probably closer to 2018. And it was new to me. I, there were so many new people that I got a chance to meet new ways of doing things. I mean, obviously the sales process itself, getting horses, there, entering horses. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people that haven't experienced that crossover from the sales world, bloodstock world to the racing world. So in a, in a large respect, myself, Christina Blacker, Gabby Godette, we're all U.S. sales representatives. We try to bridge that gap from the racing world to the sales world and, you know, helping people uh, that, that are wanting to come in that direction with top, top quality broodmares or broodmares in general to come out to, to Keeneland and be part of the November sale and the January sale. And then also being up on the auction stand as, a, as a, uh, an, uh, an announcer at Keeneland. It's uh, Kurt Becker, who's the voice of Keeneland when it comes to racing and obviously the lead voice when it comes to sales announcing as well. Uh, John Henderson, who has been there for decades, I'd say he's probably the most recognizable voice um, for anybody who's been in, in racing or thinking of Keeneland, the sales and voiceovers and things of that nature for decades. It's myself and Gabby. So there's four of us, we go up there, we, we read the pedigrees uh, when they walk in and, and, you know, get a chance to introduce the horse and their highlights and updates to a pedigree. Um, so that's an aspect of it. So there's really, three layers um, to what we do for Keeneland. And that's another thing too, that I'd never in a million years dreamed that I would be there being a part of that sales team to be a part of Keeneland, because as you know, and our listeners know and viewers know uh, it's just such a special place. It really is. And they just do everything right. I mean, they, they set the standard for the industry. That's the reality of Keeneland. And that's, uh, it's been the case and it will always be the case in my opinion. I, you look to Keeneland, they set the example. And uh, I, I just, I am humbled to uh, be associated with Keeneland um, in those respects. And I love every second that I get a chance to be there for the, whether it be racing or the sales and in any aspect of it, it, it's, it's my happy place. Keeneland and, and Lexington are my happy place. Yeah, I'm repping the Keeneland. If you can see, I'm repping the Keeneland gear here uh, tonight. Uh, I have a lot more interest in breeding and sales because I'm a first time horse owner as of a few months ago i bought two yearlings now two-year-olds through the adelphi racing club out of new york um and hopefully they'll be running in new york starting this summer uh potentially one with clement and one with ray handel so i am super nice. stoked as they say california not a word i used to use too often but super excited uh for to see some horses that i co and run and you've done a fantastic job covering the sales if, if you're not interested in breeding, folks, I really think you're missing out. It's an aspect of horse racing that you don't have to have a lot of experience. It's just read read the book, learn about it, because it has helped my handicapping tremendously, Scott, in the last, I'd say, 15 years where I've really done deep dives. I used to be one of those guys who, oh, it's a two-year-old race. I don't see, where are the running lines? I'll just skip that race. No, you can get prices in these kind of races a lot with the babies. So if you're not familiar with breeding and sales, I know the two-year-old sales is coming up soon in Keeneland. I'm sure you'll be covering that like a glove, Scott. I highly recommend folks getting involved more in learning about sales and breeding. Really important.
Uh, all right, Scott, let's jump into handicapping. Uh, appreciate all that feedback. Again, the 10 minutes to post segment, we'll try to do with you another time. Um, as I go and switch the PPs, we're going to use DRF Formulator. I've also got some Equibase stuff. Tell people briefly about what's happening with uh, first, the sorry, deemed first Saturday uh, this weekend at two different tracks. Well, just bringing together two great cards and, you know, really kind of co-mingling them, not kind of they are. They've got, what, two pick fives. One is an all-dirt pick five. One is an all-turf pick five uh, from coast to coast. And so um, it's it's going to be a giant day. And, uh, you know, we've got five stakes races out on the West Coast to, to take a look at. And, uh, you know, I think really the best of what we have in these divisions out here on the West Coast. So um, looking forward to it, looking forward to seeing – those runners back in the fountain of youth too. I mean, I, I really, the, for the, the Bill Mott three-year-old and, and some of the others in there rattle and roll who somehow is 12 to one on the morning line. I'm um, looking forward to seeing him come back off of his Claiborne breeders material. Yeah. There's never that was one of my plays of the year, by the way, on my podcast, I, and you can go back and look, not you. I mean, viewers, and I'm sure you believe me, but, uh, and I, we got six to one on, I was actually live there that day. I, I was very quiet that entire day watching with my friend, uh, Jerry at Keelan until that race when I saw I think it was Brian Hernandez sort of a angle out uh, on the turn with all that pace to run into him like yeah. I think he's got it anyway very exciting uh, just so everyone knows again there are two uh, $1 there's an, like Scott said there's an all stakes uh, turf pick five and all stakes dirt pick five by the way Scott 12% takeout excellent takeout I've not seen a few people have asked me I've not seen yet which races that covers if you know scott or if anyone at home knows i'd love to, you can just type it up in the chat i'm assuming it's gonna be the later races in each track though i think it'd be fair to say uh scott is that do you know if that information is brought out yet i haven't seen it yet i know i have very busy. seen it and i've got it in a text message thread that i will roll through here and try to find it from earlier okay uh well with some colleagues but yeah that has been set okay uh and I will get that to you as soon as I can find it. Yeah, no, I'll tell you, I'll, 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 I'll let you look for that as I go ahead and talk about the first leg a little bit. And then we'll, uh, I'll, I'll mention it so people uh, know. The first leg we're going to talk about here, the first race, you can see on the screen. I'm going to go full screen. Scott, sometimes we'll have you on screen. Sometimes we won't. So people can see the, the screen better. Uh, this is race four on, uh, on Saturday, of course. All these races are Saturday at Sam Nita. This is uh, race four. It's a seven. You can see the, uh, it's a nine horse field. I'm going to go ahead and switch to the PPs. It's the grade two San Carlos. They're going seven furlongs in the dirt. It's $200,000 purse. It's a great uh, field. And from the rail, you've got Brickyard Ride, who is a, the fastest California bred I can remember in a very long time. Scott, we're also going to show the picks on the bottom of the screen. You don't know my picks. Um, I just found out yours a little while ago. Uh, Scott, I'm going to let you go ahead first. Uh, you like the four as your top choice. And also, we do not have morning lines, which I don't know about you, Scott, but that sort of makes it more fun to me because you can sort of guess them what the morning line. I think it's John White. Is that correct? Is the morning lines yeah. out there? Does a fantastic job. You're going with a Bob Baffert trained horse for Philly and Pratt, Cezanne, second off the layoff. I am. And I'm, I'm with you on the morning lines. I respect the job that they do. It's not an easy thing to do. It's one of those uh, jobs that only gets noticed if you're off a bit or in some instances, you know, off a lot. So that's just, it's a, it's a thankless job. And I'm, I've, been, I've grown so accustomed to handicapping uh, cards without a morning line because of the work that we do at Keeneland because we're working so many days ahead. So 
uh, it's it's a, a become a comfort zone uh, really for me. And I think Cezanne, look, his last race was not the Cezanne that we've seen in the past. He was outrun early on in that run, which was taken by a central wager and shooter shoot ran one of the bigger races that he has uh, in his career and obviously in some time. But I, I'm convinced that he bounces back with more gate speed. If he doesn't, Brickyard Ride is a, a big time threat. But you look at Brickyard Ride, he has taken advantage of opportunities um, that he has had and they've taken advantage. I like the move that Craig Lewis made to run him in the Tisnow stakes. He, he airs in that short field going a mile. He just spins around there and picks up a $60,000 check, bring him back in relatively quick order. But when he has run against very good horses, he has not showed up. I know he won this race last year, but this is a better group because of Cezanne, if Cezanne is at his best. So that's why I've got him third. Uh, you've got to respect his speed. He's got one way of going. That's to the front. I think Cezanne bounces back and builds off of that race. Uh, the Palace Verdes for first race since he had run and won the Kona gold, that grade three. And I also think that eight rings has the right to bounce back. He's not been quite as fast as some of these horses from a speed figure perspective, but eight rings, you watch his race back in the San Pasquale, Johnny Velasquez got him to the front. And then it was Victor Espinosa and express train that took the initiative and went on the attack. And I think tipped him off a bit, you know, forced Johnny to use him a little bit more than he wanted to. He made two moves in the matter of a quarter of a mile, which that to me is why he flattened out. He shortens up in distance. Maybe this wakes him up. He was only beating the neck to Dr. Uh, Shivel in the grade one, Bing Crosby. I think he's a threat and a danger in here. If the cutback works out and uh, things come back to him, which they very well may uh, in here because the, the rail horse clubhouse or brickyard ride, the son of clubhouse ride uh, has one way of going and that's the front. And I just, I, I think he, He's at his best when he takes advantage of opportunities, and I don't know that uh, that this is an opportunity that he he's ready to take advantage of. I think that this is a little too deep of a a, a field for Brickyard Ride. I agree, Brickyard Ride is is very fast, but when he's been in open company, Scott also he's struggled. Now I will say this: uh, there is rain Friday, not a lot of rain, but some rain in the forecast, a slight chance of rain in the morning. I think, folks, you really got to pay attention to the way the track plays because sometimes when it gets a little bit wet. I remember those sort of wet, fast tracks they used to have up in, at San Anita and Golden Gate. It would be like a freaking highway. So, uh, you know, if the rail is good, I would definitely upgrade Brickyard, Brickyard Ride. I think that's got to be taken into account a little bit, uh, depending on how the track plays. But I agree with you. Um, I love eight rings here, Scott. I, I agree with everything you said. I really enjoy the turn back. I don't think this is a mile and eighth horse. I think he's best going one turn. I think it's going to hit him right between the eyes. I think he's going to sit off the speed and go by. You mentioned shooter shoot. Um, I'm very interested in him. Uh, you could say that last race was a one-off. He ran a 96. I'll go back full screen uh, in the Palace Verdes. And we are going to show some replays, Scott, but I'm not going to show this one. I thought he ran fantastic. He showed a lot more tactical uh, speed for Richard Baltus. I love the outside post going seven furlongs, Scott. He's going to get a free run. If he can duplicate that last effort, I see no reason why he can't win this race. And I think he's probably going to be five or six to one. I think I'm going to get a price, a price on shooter shoot. So I'm interested to see how he does. I have Cezanne in third. And I will say one thing, Scott. I don't know if you agree with this. When he won the Kona Gold in April, and by the way, I singled him that day, and he was awesome. Here's the problem. It was only a four-horse field, and he got the dream of dream trips, just went up the inside, 
and basically ran as fast as he could possibly run in a perfect scenario, got a 106 buyer. If you take that race away, he's really not that much better than these others. He was so bad last time. I know it was a very long layoff. Sometimes, Scott, even these Baffert horses, in my opinion, don't come back to what they were. He's five years old now. He can obviously win, as I put us back on screen. I'm going to be playing against him, mainly because I think he's going to be a huge underlay. I think he's going to be over bet. Um, obviously, he can win. Any thoughts on you know these, these layoffs? He's obviously been ouchy and had some issues in his career. Yeah, I mean, the, the you don't look at horses like this and uh, think that that's been the game plan to be five years old and only run five times. Yeah. Uh, but I also, I think that you've got to be careful with a horse that you paid $3.65 million for. I mean, that's what the, the Coolmore yeah. Connections did. He's got a ridiculous pedigree, son of Curlon. Curlin, he's already a graded stakes winner. So uh, I just – I'm not suggesting that he's established himself as a horse that they can take off the stud. Uh, maybe they could somewhere, but I don't, I don't know that they could – at this stage at the level that these connections deal with. But I, I, I just think that he, he can run better. I, just, I really and truly think that he's got to be sitting on a better race. I mean, you, you talk about a perfect trip. One of the things that uh, one of my dearest friends and longtime colleague always would say um, is that horses make their trip. You, you can make your trip and have an ideal trip by doing it yourself. And that's Richard Migliori, who would who was some somebody that I respect as much as anybody in this industry would say that. So if he can make that kind of trip or get that kind of setup um, like he did, which is very well possible, especially going seven furlongs, that could be the difference as well. You know, having that added distance to, to get wound up and, you know, yeah. Brickyard ride goes. We know that. What is Canadian pride going to do? Is he going to be out in front? What does Principe Carlo do? What's his purpose in this race? How does he pick up a piece of it? He needs to sit close. So. If Cezanne, you know, can can track and, and make a run at him, I think yeah. that he bounces back. But eight rings is he's the sneaky play in here. He really right. is the sneaky play. He's a, he's been an underachiever for most of his career, but it, it only takes once. And, you know, maybe that that once comes on Saturday in the San Carlos. Yeah, and they're both trained by Baffert, so I think they're just going to play the break. But you might be right. I think Cezanne might be going. Maybe eight rings will sit. It, it'll be fascinating. Let's go on to the uh, next race. I jump back to – the Equibase here. This is going to be race five. Again, we're looking at all stakes races here, folks, on Saturday. Uh, this is, uh, they're going one mile on the turf. Real nice race. The Buena Vista, it's a grade two. It's going to be approximately uh, 5 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I believe. We see the field there. Let me go ahead and zoom out just a little bit. Say So we're live TV, live TV, so to speak here. There we go. And I'll tell you what I like about this race, Scott. Uh, this is absolutely wide open. And if, folks, if you don't think it's wide open, wait until you see our picks because either I'm going to look like a complete, I won't say, Scott will never look like an idiot, but either I'll be completely wrong or Scott will be wrong because we have a pretty wide variety of, of horses here. It's an 11-horse field. Scott, these girls have pretty much sort of beaten up each other you know, throughout the year. There's really not no one that's really established themselves in the older turf uh, female division out there in California, as I go ahead and switch to the PPs, you're going to go with, I thought, a very fascinating horse who is on the improve, on the come, sort of a now horse, Tony Ann for Phil D'Amato and Rispoli. Yeah, and this is a step up, but I think that she's ready for the step up. And and the last time out, she won a mile and an eighth. She's won her last two races going a mile and an eighth. I think a mile might actually be better for her because if you've got a filly that can run the way that she did going five furlongs, uh, back in her second career start and break her maiden at six furlongs in 107 and three. 
to me, that says Myler uh, with the way that she's she's been able to run these races. And there are some really, really nice fillies and mares in here and horses that have done a lot of good and made a lot of money, um, including uh, horses to the outside, like going to Vegas, the 10. She's made over $600,000, but I think she's a bit vulnerable at this mile distance. Her best as- asset that she has is her speed, and her speed is most effective when she's going out, you know, mile and an eighth, mile and a quarter type distances. Yeah. Don't hold the Breeders' Cup against her. Um, that was just the competition level was too high. She she went fast that day. A mile and three eighths might have been stretching it out a little bit too far uh, for her. But I think that she's a mile is the offset between her and some of these other fillies. And I think the same can be said for horses like Mucho Unusual. She, I mean, she's I think more established. Obviously, you can see it in her distance. Uh, the the distance that she's run here at eight furlongs, she's far more established at the mile, but the outside draw is is less than ideal with mares that are going to be trying to uh, establish position, especially in this mile distance. I mean, you don't want these these mile type fillies and speedy fillies to get too far in front of you, in my opinion, because I think you're going to have a hard time reeling them in. That's the thing about mile races. It's such a perfect blend of speed and stamina. And I think that Tony Ann is the type of filly that has that you to be fast is, is one thing, but to be fast and to sustain it seven furlongs, eight furlongs, it's just, it's a piece of brilliance. And and I think that's why the distance is so fascinating and you see such good horses and fillies uh, when you can find them at, at a distance like this. So I'll strike on Tony Ann and hope that she can strike on Saturday, because if she wins, it'll be a long time before we get whatever price we end up getting on her. I think that she'll be, I don't want to say 10 to one, but I wouldn't be surprised if she's six, seven to one in the end. Um, so I think the mile is perfect. The inside draw is perfect for her as well. Um, then the second choice is the 11. It's hard to ignore mucho unusual, the two months off back to a mile. Uh, we'll see what Johnny Velasquez is able to do. If, if the two is not ready for this class test, I think this established mayor clearly uh, is and hence the fact the, the, that she's established or using that term. I think that this is a, a big opportunity for her. And then finally, uh, the third selection being the three-horse keeper of time, the Maymos Philly coming in for Brendan Walsh. She ships in Space Traveler as well that will be competing in the Kilroe Mile. I think he's an interesting sort just because of the trip that he had in the Pegasus Turf uh, Invitational. But uh, this is a, a lot of this has to do with pedigree. You talk about pedigree and setting pedigree. Maymos was an absolute sensation overseas i mean his first crop was ridiculous the amount of winners that he had and we saw a lot of these maymos Phillies, especially come out here uh to the west coast and establish themselves as big time runners going global um is a philly that we saw win grade ones and and uh, several graded stakes races right off the plane from from europe and with that same pedigree being a daughter of maymos so that's why i look at her obviously her form is is good as well she was a winner in a handicap uh, race at, at Gulfstream on the synthetic, but then to be fourth behind Sweet Melania, who's a really nice filly as well. When you look at uh, her form, and she beat Keeper of Time, as you're showing right there, uh, or in that Keeper of Time race as well, that she was fourth, I should say. Yeah, here's what I want to bring up. I, I love Keeper of Time in this spot. And again, for people who are not used to looking at charts, I know, Scott, you're very obviously experienced looking at charts and doing that kind of study. It's something I like to look at quite a bit. If you look carefully, folks, in the, in two starts back, when Keeper of Time ran well and lost his sweet Bellani at, at, at nine and a half to one with Tyler G in the saddle, if you look at the half mile call, the horses that were that finished first, second, and third 
were second, first, and third. Meanwhile, Keeper of Time was in was second to last in tenth, made a monster close into a slow pace. I think that's an angle, Scott, that you know some people miss sometimes. Uh, and, and so I thought uh, she ran much bigger than it looks at that time. I watched the synthetic race. I don't know, these synthetic races at Gulfstream are a little bit hard to figure with, with the time. I know she dropped down to an 84. I'm not too concerned about that, Scott. I, I like the fact that I think there's going to be a little bit of give in the ground as well. I don't think that's going to hurt this one at all. And I think it might hurt some horses that are not used to a little bit of a wetter turf course. And as I bring you on screen, and before we talk about the next race, I think it's important, Scott, to get someone like you who's experienced watching races at Sanita. Help me out. Help the viewers out. If we get some rain Friday into Saturday morning, I know I'm pretty sure the turf rails will be down. Is Sanita turf horse the contract where – the, the, the water or the moisture sort of seep more towards the inside and you might prefer to be on the outside paths or is it inconsistent or hard to say? That's a good question. I don't have a, a educated answer on that. I'm not going to sit here and, and act like I have a, an answer. I, I don't know. Uh, that's something that I'd, I'd have to dig into and, and ask some folks that, uh, you know, get uh, pay more of attention to it. Because the other thing is we just don't, honestly, we don't get an opportunity to see turf courses like that or with it really any significant amount of rain and i don't yeah. know you will see how much rain we get um it's it's dry out here that's we know that so i think it'll be able to handle whatever is thrown at it but uh and we and they've been very cautious with it i mean go back to opening day on december 26th they didn't run on the turf course because of the rain and i, I think if memory serves correctly it wasn't uh well it was more rain than what we probably are going to get on Friday. So yeah, I don't have a real answer for you on that one. I would caution though, with a Philly like this, see my mindset would be is that the, the softer turf might work against her because okay. of the fact that we've seen these Mamos Phillies do so well on the West coast. And it's always fast. I mean, nine times out of 10 and even more so than that, it's faster than it is, you know, on the slower side or softer side. So that would be my mindset. It'll be, I'd, I'd love to talk to, to Brennan Walsh and I hopefully he makes the trip out here to the West coast, but uh, that would be my concern for, I'd take the opposite stance based on the successes that we've seen from the Maymoss Phillies like going global uh, over the fast turf course out here on the West coast. That's a fair point. I, I think, uh, I think it is fair to say that it might slightly hurt some of the California runners that are based out there. They're not used to running on a little bit of giving the ground, but they actually make a very interesting point. And Mike Smith, by the way, I know this sounds crazy to say these days. I think that actually might help the price. No disrespect to Mike Smith whatsoever, because listen, he the ride he gave Althika last summer at Belmont was fantastic. The guy is a Hall of Fame rider. He can do it on turf or dirt, but he's not riding as many horses now, Scott, and he's not exactly known as a turf rider. So in a weird way, I think that actually might help his price. Uh, let's go on to race six, uh, Scott. Race six is the San Felipe. This is the, uh, we're, we don't need to talk too long about this race, I don't think. Uh, it's, again, restricted three-year-olds. There's points on the line for everyone except the Baffert runners. Again, that's a rabbit hole we're not going to get into, but that's just a fact right now. It's a pretty small field, Scott, as I go ahead and bring up our picks here. Uh, this looks to be a two-horse uh, race. There's seven horses in here, and you're going with one of those two. I'll put them both on screen because I think we can have a pretty short conversation. Uh, you're going with uh, Richard Mandela's horse, Forbidden Kingdom, who won very impressively the San Vicente last time against three Baffert runners, uh, including Doppelganger, who's in this race. He's already done it, right? Forbidden yeah. Kingdom. He's already tackled three Baffert runners. And everybody thought that that you know team tax is going to come into play, and 
and they were going to be able to uh, to win that race. You know, whomever it was going to be, obviously Doppelganger was expected the most of, of all of them. So if Forbidden Kingdom can relax and switch off, I he wins this race because I think he makes the lead. Because tell me a race, and I know I'm throwing you a, maybe a bit of a curveball here. Tell me a, a three-year-old race on the West Coast or two-year-old race for that matter, graded six race, where a Bob Baffert runner was expected – to you know make the lead or be part of the pace that was outrun especially when he has three in there i mean it just doesn't happen and for big kingdom went to the front and just kept on going i don't i don't see any excuse for doppelganger maybe the two turns unlock something for him i would agree that he's the second choice in here for myself obviously you've got him on top he has every right to bounce back he very well could bounce back the way that pinehurst did out of that san vicente and pinehurst ran a giant race in the saudi derby because that long stretch there's something about that racetrack in the King Abdulaziz race course where horses have just the hardest time once they make the lead holding on to it. It feels like it goes on forever. And I know we have long stretches in North American racing, but for him to do what he did, that was a hell of a run from Pinehurst in the Saudi Derby okay. off of his runner up finish in the San Vicente. But if Forbidden Kingdom, he's got the pedigree to do it. That's another aspect. He's by American Pharaoh. Um, he's got the pedigree to to be able to go this two turns. If he can switch off, relax, I think that he wins this race. Doppelganger, obviously, if he bounces back, uh, sh should run a big one as well if he can take the two turns. And then Armagnac, I really don't know what to do with him. He broke his maiden last time out. He wandered once he made the lead. He's going to have to grow up grow up from that. And if he does, you know, he could be a factor in there. But he's got to grow up a lot to go with horses like Forbidden Kingdom and uh, Doppelganger. So uh, I know it's it's nothing creative. Uh, but for Big Kingdom, to me, is the right horse in this race. Well, I know you were talking with Dave Weaver not too long ago, actually. It almost feels like a few minutes ago uh, on your on your uh, show on TVG, your segment. Um, and you were talking about this horse. I have a very strong opinion in this race, Scott. And here's what I think is going to happen. We've seen these team, team tactics by Bob Baffert before. Absolutely legal. No problem with it. I would be shocked, shocked if Johnny V is not sending absolutely as hard as he can on this horse. I think they're, you know, Starlight Racing's got uh, this horse and Doppelganger. There's no way in hell that they're going to let Forbidden Kingdom walk on the lead in this race. I would be completely shocked. Now, maybe Forbidden Kingdom is just too fast anyway. It won't matter. But the three is going to be shoving. I would be very surprised if he isn't. I think in, uh, that Doppelganger has been working lights out. I think the distance is going to help Doppelganger and hurt Forbidden Kingdom. Uh, there is a ultimate betting uh, contest. I'm sure you know what that is. It's $3,500 live money contest. I was fortunate enough um, in January on Pegasus Day, Scott, uh, that we can actually win two seats. So I'm actually going to be playing the ultimate betting contest. I'm not going to give away any secrets. Let's just say doppelgangers will be very important to my day on Saturday. I think, I don't know, it's probably going to be like a six to five, seven to five kind of situation in terms of their prices. To me, it's one of these two, and I love, love Doppelganger in this spot while respecting Forbidden Kingdom, only because I think Armin Knack is going to be sent very hard just to give uh, Forbidden King a hard time. In fact, you might see Johnny V just kind of sort of come a little bit wide on that first turn and act as, uh, I'll throw out a football name, Roland Harper to the Walter Payton of the world, for you very old-school uh, Chicago Bears fans might have heard of Roland Harper, who was a great uh, fullback who always was a, a blocking back for uh, Walter Payton. It ought to be interesting. I think we can just move on, Scott. It's going to be a great race, though. 
Um, and it's going to be fascinating to see if Forbidden Kingdom can win for Mandela uh, once again. Let's go on to race nine. And um, Sky, I know we said we about an hour. You can do you have an extra about 10 minutes or so to go a little past uh, 6.30 times. Is that all right? You got, no, that's fine. Totally. Absolutely. All right, I appreciate that. I hate to do that to you. But no. uh, we, we both love talking about horse racing, of course. Uh, another race that we don't need to talk too long on. Folks, look at the pics at the bottom of the screen. We're, we, we, we both know what's going on. It's 365 to the hoop, Scott, in the uh, grade one beholder mile. It's one mile on the dirt. As time goes by, he's just going to either get the lead or stalk and go by at, uh, what, three to five piece of cake, right? <laughs> it looks that way. I mean, she's developed into a powerhouse. It took her some time to, to, to develop into the race that she is. Uh, she's become, or the racehorse, I should say, that she's become. Um, she was second in this race last year behind Swiss Skydiver, which is – not a terrible run line to have. And she, you know, she won the Santa Marita. She won the Santa Margarita. These are the best races that we have out here in the springtime. Uh, this is going back to last year for uh, Phillies and mares. Um, and, you know, thereafter, you know, the Breeders' Cup distaff, not her game to be going that quickly or anybody. I mean, that race completely turned over. And since the distaff, she's done nothing but win the Bayaco and the La Cunata and won the La Cunata by 13 to Park Avenue, a Philly that a lot of people felt was ready for the big time but showed yeah. that following the, the grade three La Cunata. So uh, I went back and forth, back and forth between these two horses. Uh, and Vutante, she's been very nice for Kenny McPeak. She's made nearly a million dollars, but her best races have come at Churchill. They had the option of obviously running in this race or giving themselves an extra week. They could have ran last week in the Royal Delta, but then you're taking on Latruska. Pick your poison there. This is a grade one. You know, you have the potential of winning a grade one picking up grade one placing. I think that that would sway people. Kenny's as game as anybody to ship horses. We've seen that. I mean, this Philly, she's well-traveled. Churchill, Oaklawn, Remington, Saratoga. I just wonder if Churchill is where she's going to be at her best. I wonder if this is just a – I don't want to say it a setup race because grade ones are, are rare, and you take these opportunities when they're in front of you, but this very well could be a setup type of race for the La Troyenne at Churchill, a race that she was second in. Uh, to she there's the devil i like the fact that kenny came this way again grade one you're not messing with latruska you've got one philly to, to worry about as time goes by um we'll see how this year pans out could these two phillies latruska and as time goes by be the two coastal phillies that we see clash in the center of the country at keeneland it, it, it very well wor may, may work out that way but uh i think that the home court advantage for as time goes by uh goes a long way and then finally uh miss bigley won the Bayacoa comes this way instead of running, you know, staying there at Oakland Park to, to run in a race like the Azari, um, which obviously would be an option. Uh, but she shows up here with Ramon Vasquez, and she's worked at Santa Anita, so it's obvious that they're not just entering to see what happens. Uh, she's here. So uh, I think this is another straightforward race. As time goes by, uh, as the odds-on favorite, home cooking will do her some good. Yeah, I have nothing else to add. She's a real nice horse, and she's just going to just figure to get a great trip. And I actually think the mile is better than the mile in 16th and mile in 8th. So I think the short distance might be better for her. But I think she's going to be very tough to beat in this uh, spot. By the way, Baffert does have another horse uh, on the rail of Varda. I just want to mention Baffert does have two in here. But uh, I actually watched her work um, with, I believe it was, yeah, it was with As Time Goes By. And As Time Goes By, just absolutely rolled past her like it was nothing. So, uh She's going to be very tough to beat in this spot. Uh, let's go to the next race. I think this is one of the best 
races on the card. Uh, this is a very difficult. Uh, sorry, attempt to race. My bad. Uh, this I thought, wow, what a race this is, Scott. I, I don't know about you, but when I start looking at these PPs, my my blood got boiling. I'm very excited. I love watching Turf Miles. I is one of my favorite kind of race anywhere. The Kilroy, the Frankie Kilroy Miles always, you know, uh, they always put on a great show. This is an absolutely wide open skullbuster race that I know a lot of people in the Ultimate Betting Challenge are going to be probably playing quite a bit of money into because there's a lot of ways you can go. You can see Scott and I have some pretty different opinions there on the screen. Uh, Scott is going to go with a newly turned four-year-old who had a very nice three-year-old campaign at the end of the year, beyond brilliant for John Sheriffs and Victor Espinoza. And this is, to me, much like, well, I shouldn't say much like the the Philly race, the Buena Vista Um to me, it's are you going to go with speed or are you going to go with closers? And you've got both. And you've got very good ones in both disciplines. And for Beyond Brilliant, he ran a solid race on the dirt last time out in the in the Mathis Brothers Mile on opening day, one of those races taken off the turf course. Prior to that, he won the Hollywood Derby. He beat Santine. A lot of people loved Santine um, in his race at the fairgrounds when we were there for Risen Star. If memory serves correctly, he didn't run all that bad. Uh, for Godolphin and Brendan Walsh, but no. this horse ran in the Twilight Derby. He won going wire to wire in an A other than. I just think that this Colt has developed nicely. We're going to see him hopefully take another step forward and trying to get a price before that price starts to tumble when, he, I, in my opinion, he starts to hit a good string of races in this mile division. So more than anything, the post position is a big plus for him because that worked against him in the Twilight Derby. I think, you know, even last time out, he drew outside. Law Professor was able to just stalk off of him, and he tried. I mean, it wasn't like Law Professor went just past him um, in the stretch uh, with ease in the Mathis uh, Brothers Mile. So uh, give me CRK Stable, Beyond Brilliant, John Sheriffs, Victor Espinoza. I think they close out with grade ones, a teaser to the big cap. And I think Victor, you know, Victor is a big money rider. You know, he's yeah. he's not riding – the, and, it, and it's been several years. I mean, I, I don't know how many times we've heard him think about retirement over the <laughs> decades, I mean, truthfully. And what was it that kept him going um, not quite 10 years ago, but close to it with California Chrome, California Chrome? Uh, that kept him going. And then he, you know, American Pharaoh comes along. And then I just think, you know, he finds these horses that come along and he takes advantage of the situation. And I think he's content with that you know much like what where mike smith is at right now and the way that he's transitioned to that but i think that victor has been in that position longer with that mindset and he takes advantage of it and prepares and gets ready for it so beyond brilliant with his speed uh for me in that spot subconscious i don't think you can go wrong with either of these two horses i really i went back and forth subconscious is another one that got a big Plus with this inside draw, his outside draw on the Hollywood Derby was something that worked against him with beyond brilliant. He was a runner up in the thunder road um, last time out from post position. Number one, it says stumbled. I've watched the race back. That's what the comment line reads. If it was a stumble, it was a very slight stumble, but uh, you know, I think he builds off of that race now at the age of four, he he leaned in a little bit in that race. So we'll, we'll see. Um, how he comes out of that or how he builds off of that, which he has every right to do so, in my opinion. Um, so I like both the two and three. To me, they're very interchangeable. And then of the closers, 
Count again's nice. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to go back to back at Santa Anita, but I think that this is a bit of a step up and he didn't come that far from winning this race last year with, you know, smooth like straight and hit the road, which are two giant absences from this race, especially with smooth like straight him not being here with his speed and hit the road off of his dull run in the Pegasus turf. You know, I'm not surprised that they're giving him time after traveling back East, but I ultimately went to the outside uh, with space traveler he didn't have a clear journey uh, I know a lot of people they're very enamored by by Jamie Spencer and some of the rides that he's had in his career especially in the United States go back to our home turf <laughs> the Arlington Million uh, I hate to bring it up but it's a reality and I don't think that he was at fault in any of what space traveler encountered in the Pegasus Turf Invitational I don't see what he could have done differently but the horse ran on in a big way and I think that this race this mile race will be spread out with the speed, more speed, more pace to where he'll be able to navigate a little bit easier um, wherever that needs to be. Yeah. And he's run big buyers. He's a closer. So I think that he's got a big opportunity. And for Brendan Walsh to come this way uh, is another uh, positive, in my opinion, one of the two big opportunities that Brendan has. So we'll see what Space Traveler is able to do. I go with him as the, as the top closer, but – uh, looking for the progressive horse, horse on the upward swing. Well, two of them, really. Subconscious already a great at stakes winner, you know, at the recently insane with Beyond Brilliant. He's a grade one winner of the Hollywood Derby. But I think the two relative youngsters in this mile division, that's where I'll go in the kill row. I love this race. Yeah, a, Christine, by the way, I saw your comment. I'm trying to turn my sound. Apparently my sound is a lot lower than yours, Scott. Maybe if you could maybe turn your sound down slightly if you can, even though we're about to end the show here. Um I actually think Space Traveler is the best horse in the race. Here's my concern. You already touched on it. I am not, by the way, Scott, one of those jockey haters. Like, it's a very tough job they have to do. I've never been on the back. You know, I've never ridden a race. But I got to tell you, I'll tell you what Jamie Spencer could have done that last race. Get And I loved Space Traveler last time. Get this horse into the game. I mean, it was not that fast a pace. I don't know why he was so far back. I mean, just ridiculous how far back he was from the rail. And he got shuffled back. And then he made a nice run up the inside. I would put if Space Traveler had a different jockey again. I, I I'm sorry to be you know sound like I'm being disrespectful of Jamie Spencer, but as part of the game, I just don't trust him uh, to win the race. But I think he is the best horse in the race, so I have him in second. I love Count Again, Scott. I, I'm a big fan of this horse. What Phil D'Amato has done with this horse, I think, has been amazing. Usually, when you see these turf horses get older, Scott you see them usually going further in distance, at least in my experience, right? So they maybe start out as milers, and as they get more miles on them, they don't quite have that turn of foot that they usually do, and they start stretching them out. Count again looks like he's getting better recently as he's going shorter. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I watch his last work, Scott, because that's what I do. I'm a sicko. I watch a lot of works, and <laughs> somehow I find time to do all that while full-time teaching. His last work, Scott, he looked like a four-year-old running around. I mean – was tremendous. It was on the inner uh, the training track. I mean, he looked fantastic. I don't see any reason why he can't win this race again. My issue with subconscious and beyond brilliant, I mean, subconscious should have beat Count again last time and Count again ran him down into a pretty slow pace. So I think there's more speed in this race. I completely respect your opinion, of course, Scott, but I think it's going to set up for closers in this race. And I just don't think beyond brilliant or subconscious are quite the level of talent is space traveler and count again yet. However, in saying that, I think you will get better price on your two horses. I just feel like this is the kind of race that's going to set up for closers. Any quick thought before we get to the last race, Scott? 
there's only been four seven-year-olds that have won this race. I'm just going to throw it out to you. I know that it's not always an exact science. The race started back in 1960. <laughs> it's obviously evolved into a grade one in, you know, the last several years. So uh, I, I, but I, I don't, I don't disrespect that runner whatsoever. I'm, I'm just trying, I'm always of the mindset of trying to capitalize on something that may be fleeting. And I think if you see these two horses, these two four-year-olds run to the expectations that I have, it'll be a while before we get those prices. So I'm going to take yep. advantage of that scenario on Saturday. If they run big, I think they're good enough to win. If they're not quite ready or the pace doesn't work out, we gave it a shot. I mean, that's what gambling is. And those two closers, they are, they are horses that absolutely can win this race. Those yeah. are the, by far, in my opinion, the four horses uh, that have the biggest opportunity to come away with this grade one. And there's some others in here that are, that, that are nice horses. I mean, law professor is a nice horse. He won the San Pasquale. Why is he not in the big cap? I don't know. Maybe the mile and a quarter is what Michael McCarthy is is thinking about there with the son of Constitution, who's proven himself to be a very versatile stallion. Speaking of of pedigree, uh, you know, recognizing pedigrees. Um, yeah. Whisper not very sense. capable. I mean, there's a lot of horses that can win this race. I mean, yeah, that's you know, European pedigree, five month layoff. I mean, he's a proven miler. I mean, he's absolutely. He's not hung it, at the at these kind of level. The you know the grade ones that he's had the opportunity, but you know, I think this is a bit of an evolving. I don't want to. It's these divisions are always evolving. I, I would still put smooth like straight as the A number one on the West Coast in the in the Grade One Mile division. Yeah. Um, hit the road. I think he's a lot of, lost a little bit of luster in his recent races. But you know, there's there's always somebody coming up, and you know, I I look forward to seeing this. I I, I love these mile races because it's there's speed, there's closers, there's trip. You know, there's there's so much to uh, to focus in on. It's 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 really, to me, the ideal distance. Yeah, I'm not usually a big fan of seven-year-olds, I agree. But by the way, Flavor Flav in the saddle, that's not a bad guy to have in a no. big race either. So uh, let's go on to the last race of the day. Uh, the San, This is the big cap, San Diego Handicap. There's, of course, a grade one, 650000 on the line, uh, mile and a quarter. Uh, it's always a great race every year. Scott, you and I are both going with the same horse here on top. Um, just like his name, Express Train has been a train recently what a nice horse for john sheriff's uh one is one close to a million dollars and there's your guy victor in the saddle again i think the likely favorite i'm guessing in my opinion somewhere around eight to five in the spot that's that's a fair assessment i mean he, i think it's almost a guarantee that he ends up being the favorite in here i mean victor's won with this horse in his last two and the i, I would say the knock against this horse is that every time it looked like he was ready to take over this division when it was set up, he'd run a big race coming into races like the Pacific classic or other instances like the big cap last year, he failed to carry on. Maybe we've seen a turning point with this son of union rags, five years old, longer distances. He's got that pedigree union rags, the further, the better in these dirt races, in my opinion. And he's obviously still a very uh, capable stallion at mile mile 16th and, and obviously mile and eighth, like we've seen. But Victor putting him into the race was the key to his win last time. I referred to what he did to eight rings. He set off eight rings. Victor rushed him up, got him to settle. That yeah. was it. Johnny B couldn't do that. He didn't. Have, Johnny B was dead set on getting this horse to the front. So that's what ended up happening um, in that situation. And Express Train just kept on going. I mean, that's what good dirt horses at distances like this. They just keep on coming at you. And I think that that's what we're going to end up seeing. And, you know, this race has taken on a different, really a different type of 
type of uh, race really in the last few years with Dubai, with Saudi now, and obviously with the Pegasus World Cup, because you see all of those horses going in that in those directions for $20 million, for $10 million in Dubai. I mean, you have to choose. It's one or the other. It's Saudi or, you know, Saudi and Dubai, or do you stay home and run in, in a race like this? And we've seen nice horses win this race through its history, obviously, but it's lost a bit of its luster. And I'm not knocking Express Train. He certainly, if you were to look towards, you know, the, the top of the handicap division out here on the West Coast, he would be near it, if not at the top of it. And so I think that he continues this role that he's on. It's a perfect spot for him, obviously, given the competition. Uh, I can't disagree with you on the three warrant, but I think he's got to take it a step up. You know, Mandaloon, Midnight Bourbon, he could not get close to them. They were in a two-horse race in the Louisiana Stakes. They both go to Saudi, Mandaloon, not as good as Midnight Bourbon. Midnight Bourbon has been so you know consistent and effective over the course of his career. So he's got to step up. I would say Express Train is not quite at their level when they're at their best, but I think he's not far off of it. And then also, um, who do I got underneath? I've got the eight and the five. You have Stiletto Boy. Yeah, I think you got to respect him. What a big run he had in the Pegasus. I mean, real big run. He's he's a four-year-old. He ran third for what it's worth behind Baby Yoda and Flightline going seven furlongs and beating 12 lengths in the end. But, you know, he was only a length beaten by Baby, Baby Yoda. He was second behind Medina Spirit, third behind Medina Spirit and Rocky Road. So he's just been, you know, one of these horses. I, I would put him – he's not quite a midnight bourbon. I don't know that he's that good, but he's one of these horses that always shows up for you, and we have seen that for him. So I've uh, seen that from him, I should say. So off of his third, the Pegasus, respect him with Johnny in the saddle, and then uh, the number five horse, American Theorem. He got shuffled in the San Pasquale. He's a nice – Colt or Ridgeling, I should say, for Kretz Racing. Is he going to go here, Scott? Because he's he cross-centered, right, in the San Carlos? Yes. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is to that. I mean, I think it's yeah. it's a tough trek either way. Yeah. Um, but I, I've got him underneath. I mean, if he doesn't go, I would put Warrant there, but I think he's a long ways behind yeah. uh, the well, the other two, in my opinion. Let me let me tell you how I feel about – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put us full screen because we, we saw the PPs here. Um, I have another pretty strong opinion, and it could be completely wrong, Scott, because uh, anyone who watches the show knows, you know, that's what horse racing about, right, Scott? You got to go with your opinions. You got to be firm with them. Uh, Brad Cox could have done anything with this horse, and I remember him talking at fairgrounds how he thought the division out here in California was a little bit, the older handicap division was a little bit weak, and I agree with that. And so he decided to ship him out here. Now, is he shipping out here because he thinks all it's weak? Or does he also think that warrants an improving four-year-old who can actually win this race? I think it's probably a combination of both. But my strong opinion here, Scott, is I just don't think Stiletto Boy is going to run the, the same race he ran in Florida. He's got to ship all the way back to California. He ran a, a buyer top. He's a nice horse. But I think Warren is going to, is going to appreciate the distance. He's been working very well. I love the fact that Flavian is on him. I think that shows intent. And this is by constitution, so I think the distance is going to help. And I think Warren's going to be maybe twice the price of Stiletto Boy. I think Stiletto Boy is maybe three to one, and Warren's you know maybe five to one, you know nine to two, somewhere in that range. So I think I'm going straight exact to six three. I'm going to back up a little bit three six. I have complete respect for Stiletto Boy. It's just one of those spots, Scott, where it feels like today uh, Saturday is going to be Warren's day and not Stiletto Boy's day. I just think. Stiletto Boy is going to take a step back 
based on, again, flying across the country and coming off a big buyer top when really Stiletto Boy's never run that kind of race before. But you're exactly right. Warren's going to step up, what, a good four or six buyer points. But I think he can, and I think similar to some other horses we talked about tonight, now is the time you're going to get the price on Warren, not the next time after he runs a big a second, at least hopefully for me, uh, in, in the big cap. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you on any, any of those points. I mean, I would not be shocked if he runs a big race. And, you know, this is a cult that, I mean, the, the rea- this is the reality for me when, you, when I look at his form. When you've got big operations like Brad Cox, like Bob Baffert, like Steve Asmussen, they've got so many three-year-olds. They've got their tiers, you know, your first tier crop your of that crop, your second tier of that crop. And that's kind of where, to me, that's where it stops when it comes to, you know, stakes horses, graded stakes horses. Um, you've got a first and the second tier. I weren't, you look at where they ran them. They ran them in the Oaklawn stakes. That's the the race. That's the winning you're in for the Preakness ran yeah. a solid second. He wins the Texas Derby, West Virginia Derby, Oklahoma Derby. Baffert has made a, a, you know, what could be a living for most other people going around with his second tier runners and winning those derbies, Oklahoma, Ohio Derby, West Virginia yeah. Derby, Texas Derby, on and on and on. And, and I just, you know, to me, I, he's found the right spot. And I think that with what we, what I just said, Saudi cup, Dubai world cup, this has become kind of that second tier of the handicap. Not kind of, it is. I mean, that's really, I'm not talking down the big cap. It's just, it's fallen victim to being in this part of the calendar that has been so loaded up with the middle Eastern money with $30 million between Dubai and Saudi that where, you know, you just, you can't do both. It's, it's, if you've got a really nice horse, you've got to chase those riches. So, um, you know, it, it might work out for Brad. I'd be interested to to look up Brad's record uh, shipping out west, though. I don't. I, that's let's something take a look at. I'll tell you, we we, okay. we got a minute. Uh, okay. We'll take a look at. See, I don't know if he hasn't done very much. We got to do one other thing about formulate here. Let's see what he is at today at Santa Anita. Probably not very many runners. I'm guessing. Let's see. Uh, actually, you know, he's got he has won twice. Uh, two for ten. 30% of the money he won with British Idiom and Kofefe. Breeders' Cup winners, yeah. There you so. go. He pretty good, pretty darn good horses. But, you know, he's he sent out uh, Bo Recall, uh, Arklo, Take the, He's not afraid to ship a horse out there, actually. Not bad. Well, I would say outside of those horses, most of these races are Breeders' Cup weekend-type horses. Uh, actually, I mean, that's a great the point. Uh, the only one that he's yeah. come out here of this group that you've got on screen would be uh, take these change in the Buena Vista. So, and where did she end up? And she up, ended up fourth. She finished up uh, fourth. Uh, actually, Bo Recall was out her for the Rodeo Drive um, and finished. Oh, second. there you go. Yep. Uh, that's the third one down, Scott. If you can't see, sorry. So, yeah, no, I see yeah, no it's a fair right. point. No, it's a fair point. Uh, this is a great thing about DR Formula, by the way, just to throw a plug out to them. Um, you know, he doesn't do it too often, but I think there's intent. That's all I'm saying. I think there's intent here yeah. other than just the money uh, because they, there's a big race, a handicap race in New Orleans on, um, uh, I think it's the New Orleans handicap. I think it's called, it's a grade two um, that they run on Louisiana Derby day. So, mm-hmm. I mean, really there's a lot of reasons for him to keep this horse, you know, at his own track and coming, you know, racing out of his own barn and decides, you know, send him a thousand miles out west. Um, will it work out? I have no idea. But again, from a value standpoint, the six three exacta for me selfishly is gonna pay a lot better than the six eight exacta. I'd have to guess. I don't know, we'll just have to see. Um, Scott, really appreciate you staying on this long. I know you had a very 
long day. Everyone can see his Twitter there on the bottom of the screen, at ScottTVG. Uh, Scott, before we take you off screen, let you go, any final comments or thoughts uh, on the weekend or anything coming up at San Diego that you'd like to promote or Keeneland for that matter? Well, Keeneland's just around the corner. Um, I, yeah. I'm a day-to-day, take a day-to-by-day type of guy, so I'm looking forward to um, obviously this weekend, this Saturday, I'll be back at the fairgrounds uh, along with Dave Weaver, Todd Shrupp, and uh, Joaquin Jaime. We're going to be back there on uh, Louisiana Derby Day. Uh, which is March 26th. That's another giant day on TVG. Dubai World Cup in the morning, and then you've got uh, Louisiana Derby yeah, in the afternoon, day. and then we get right into to Keeneland. So, I mean, it's just it's it's that time of the year, but it's always that time of year in racing. If you're not moving towards the Triple Crown, you're moving towards the uh, the Breeders' Cup or a sale for that matter. And you mentioned there's a sale coming up on closing day. It's actually on closing day at Keeneland um, right after the race. The horses racing age sale. So uh, we've got that to, to come. So uh, I really appreciate it. Todd said you were immensely prepared. That was the case. I, I do want to come back because I want to do this this question 10 minutes to post thing. So you've got to have me back. But listen, I, I, I've got it here. I mean, it's completely up to you. I I, I can I have five minutes, but I don't want to put you let's on the go. spot. No, you let's want to go. do it? All right, let's rock. I want to do it. These I are fun questions. I don't want to sit in LA traffic. That's that's my I love it. hang with you or, or do this. All or right. Traffic, well, which is I don't know if that's a glowing endorsement. We're slightly better than the rush hour traffic on the 504, wherever you're no, going. But... Much more, much more than that. All right. I'm just kidding. All right, let's, Hey, let's hold on. I've watched this. I got a, I got a, a banner for it. All right. We're going to do a late edition of 10 minutes of post 10 minutes of post everyone. All right, we're going to go 10 minutes. Rapid fire, Scott. You can answer these as quick or as long as you want. These are mainly horse racing questions, but I got some fun stuff with you uh, for you, too. Again, we're here with Scott Hazelton ending the show for the first time, ending the show with the 10 minutes to post segment. First moment you fell in love with horse racing. Uh, hanging with my dad and being part of the guys at Arlington Park. And, you know, the, the trash talk, the bus, uh, chopping each, uh, busting each other's chops. Uh, and growing up with those guys, that's when I fell in love with the racing, being around that that group of guys in Chicago. That's that's when I fell in love. Long live, by the way, I, I live in uh, Vernon Hills. I'm 20 minutes north of Arlington Park. So uh, long live Arlington Park. Uh, I don't know, maybe a mir- maybe another million miracle will happen, but it uh, doesn't look too good. Um, best or most memorable horse racing event ever attended? Wow, that's that's a tough one. I would have to say the the win by Teppin in, in uh, the Queen Anne at Royal Ascot. I mean, I, I've had a chance to be, and that's crazy to say because the American Pharaoh Triple Crown that was more of just a, a an emotions release, having been there for failed Triple yeah. Crown attempts. Like uh, Big Brown immediately comes to mind. He was never really given a chance. I'll have another scratching, you know, a day before the race or whatever the timing was there. Uh, but that that was a celebration of okay, finally, finally. But uh, for Teppin, there was so much pride in it they, because there were so many people there and being there, having the great opportunity to be there, they questioned, can a U.S. horse really come in here? Is she good enough to win the Queen Anne? I mean, it, and the Queen Anne, if you look at the history of it, one of the greatest European mile races that we have. You talked about Frankel. If you've never seen Frankel's Queen Anne, go watch it on YouTube right now. Horses are not supposed to win that way. Well, not now. they got to watch the show the and then watch the end of the show. Then exactly. Go <laughs> and then and – then, Keep in mind who he was beating. Recognize some of those names and talking about pedigrees. Yeah. Look at those names that show up in pedigrees on the top side of things as far as sires. But when she won the Queen Anne, I was crying. It was a great experience, and she did it and showed that U.S. horses can uh, win on Europe's biggest stage when it comes to turf racing. And it you know it doesn't take just two year olds, precocious two year olds to go over there and win. She did it. 
And so that was my, um, that has to be my most memorable experience that combined with the fact that it was my first time to Royal Ascot. It was the first race on day one. So it was a lot of firsts. By the way, Wesley Ward's had some pretty memorable wins also in uh, oh, yeah. at, at Royal Ascot. We could talk forever about about his accomplishments. And Brad Cox actually said, I think I heard it today or I read it yesterday, that he's interested in, in trying to send some horses over there at some point if he has the right horses. So I think it's great. Let's get more American participation. Todd Pletcher, let's send some well, – he doesn't have a lot of turf horses, but let's send Colonel Liam over there. Why not? I don't know. Kenny's saying the same thing with his uh, what what's his his colt that he just ran on dirt. His name is escaping me. That I'm sorry. It was the Kenny McPeak. He's got a now three year old that he just ran on dirt that ran in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf uh, and was the the winner parimutuelly speaking. I cannot think of that colt's name, but for Phoenix Thoroughbreds, he's saying he may run in the Guineas and the Epsom okay. Derby. So we might have that okay, to look forward perfect. to come springtime, spring and summer. Best part about working at TVG. Tis the bomb. Oh, tis the bomb's his name. Tis the bomb. There uh, best, you go best part of working at TVG, I'd have to say, well, first of all, the people, the people make everything. Like I've said before, the people, I love horses. Horses have been a massive part of my life and they will continue to be uh, as long as I'm able to be part of this great sport. But uh, the people, the people that, that I've met here at TVG, worked with, traveled with, been frustrated with, worked through adversity with uh, it's the people. I know it's cliche, but that's, that's the best and getting a chance to travel with them and experience all the things that we've experienced in the, well, for me, really short amount of time. I've, I've only been here at TVG uh, since 2015. So it's, you know, it's been uh, pretty quick, but it's gone by pretty quick. And we've got a chance to do it. We've had a chance to do a lot of great things and there's still a lot of things to, to get done. Yeah. That's what Todd said. It's all about family, right? This is your second family, et cetera. Yep. I used to answer, I'll just answer this question real quick for myself. Um, I'd love to get to Royal Ascot, obviously. I mean, anywhere overseas, I really haven't seen, races overseas the melbourne cup looks like an absolute blast and what i from what i've heard scott it makes the kentucky derby look like a little cocktail party i mean that it is the race that stops the nation i would love not only go to australia but the melbourne cup for me somehow just i think that would be unbelievable you said asia you know anywhere in asia those people just love horse racing out there yeah i, I, I want to go to japan i want to go to the arc de triomphe because i think that that race too that's sure that race fascinates me at the end of the year. You know, you, you bring together um, the best at the end in that distance race and, you know, the conditions that they have to yeah. encounter. But uh, the Aussies, one of the things, too, that I've heard a lot about the Aussies are going down there is that they can drink their beer. They, you <laughs> they better do? get tied on if you're going Australians? down there. They, yeah, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, let's say we're Chicagoans. I think we can handle our own a little bit. Uh okay. Most embarrassing moment while on air. Now, hold on a second. I got to No, I no video. <laughs> Don't worry. Scott's like, where's how we're going with this one? Is there something that just uh, th that sticks out to you? Good or bad? Embarrassing. But the one thing that comes to mind was this has got to be the most embarrassing. It was a sanity to handicap, ironically enough. And Einstein had come out to run in the Santa Anita handicap. So whatever year that was. And Robbie Alvarado had Love been riding horse. Einstein and I, and at that point they had taken Robbie off and I think it was Julian Le Peru that rode him uh -oh. in the big cap. And I interviewed Robbie <laughs> and it was a live interview and asked him how he thought Einstein was going to do <laughs> later on that day. And Robbie saved me and he's in, I've known Robbie from my <laughs> Chicago days my entire life. And he's, I forget how he sidestepped. He goes, Oh, well, you know, I'm not riding him anymore, but I think he'll run a big race. And he rode another horse in that race. But that was very <laughs> embarrassing. That and the Mind That Bird Derby, 
uh, because there was a string of eight years where I went to the Kentucky Derby and for HRTV, we'd be there for about two weeks covering all angles. I mean, workouts, back at the barn, just everything you could possibly think of in being there 12, 10, 10, 12, 14 days, whatever it ended up being. And that year, I never spoke to Chip Woolley. Every time I walked past his barn, oh, I'll get him next time. Oh, I got to go talk to this person. Oh, I'll get him next time. And he was always just sitting there in his, you know, in his folding chair with the horse on it, on the, you know, lead rope and grazing him there. I can still see it. And when he crossed the wire, the thoughts that came to my mind, I called one of my bosses at HRTV and said, I messed up. I'm sorry. I, you know, I talked to everybody. So it was a lesson learned. Everybody's got a chance, including a horse that was, what, 50, 60 no, to one, whatever no, it was. No one saw him winning that day. By the way, C-Money mentioned the Hong Kong Vase is a race he'd like to go to. And here's a nice comment uh, for you uh, from Dave. Uh, wow, he puts you in Matt Bernier category. That is very, very high esteem. Holy, wow. Uh, Matt's actually a Who's friend of mine. Beard, I, I met him in – He's got a better beard. Um, I'll tell you. Mine's sport- grayer. Yeah, yours is a little bit lighter. You're sporting a nice beard right now, I got to say, though. Uh, all right, let's get to the next uh, question. Um, most surreal moment covering du- uh, Royal Ascot or Dubai? Like maybe the first time you saw the Queen or you found you were interviewing like Sheikh Mohammed or just any- anything the like. Again, it doesn't have to be good or bad. Just something you're like, holy blank. I cannot believe this is happening to me. Well, the Teppan win was pretty surreal. Was um, it jumping off the camel? <laughs> no, I wouldn't put it up there. Uh, I've never had a chance to, to interview Sheikh Mohammed. I, I okay. hope someday that that ends up happening. Uh, but boy, I, most surreal would be just being there and kind of reflecting on the years of, of having a chance to go there when yeah. in Dubai. You know, because it 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 happened, and as I said before, it was a pivotal point in my career. Uh, but then reflecting on the people that I've met, the horses that I've had a chance to see, the evolution of, of that race. I mean, from I got a chance to see the last two years of Nat Al-Sheba to the transition to Maidan. They had the synthetic track. Then the, the dirt track comes back and just, you know, the Japanese too. I mean, you think that we're looking right now what the Japanese are doing on the world stage from Breeders' Cup to Saudi Unbelievable. Cup. Unbelievable. Uh, it's it's insane. Good for but them. we started to see that. Uh, in Dubai, Victoire yes. Pisa is the horse that comes to mind, and they had just gone through the the uh, the earthquake and tsunami, so it was a crazy yeah. time for them uh, when they won with Victoire Pisa uh, in the uh, in the Dubai World Cup, and I'm pretty sure it was Christophe Lemaire that was aboard him that night. So starting to see that build towards what it's become, and all the you know the the, the great horses that they've uh, raided the world with. Um, yeah, the By the way, I've got stadium. a sorry, I've I've got a soft spot in my heart for Victoire Pisa. Very quickly, one of the first bigger pick sixes I ever hit. I singled Victor Pisa that day. Maybe I'll show the ticket from my really? uh, Twin Spires account. I think I won like 16,000. And by the way, he didn't break great and he like rushed up on the out on the backstretch, which is a move that never works at that track. And uh, I, I won Victor Pisa. I singled, singled in that day. I think it was like eight to one. He was, he was like a medium to larger price that day for the, uh, for the Japanese contingent. They were crying because of the tsunami and it was, it was a great story, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. Um, Vertical or horizontal better? Would you say you are? I'm more of a straight up on on the race. Like I, you know, I've gotten more towards uh, the pick fours and pick fives and things of that nature since coming over to TVG. Okay. Uh, HRTV that wasn't really the focus. And growing up with my father in in the Midwest, like multi race exotics were just not no. a, a big thing. I mean, you know, the pick six pool was minuscule in my my lifetime. And then you yeah. come out here to the West Coast, especially when 
you know, when the jackpot thing didn't come around, um, the pools were enormous. So it's hard enough to win one race, let alone four or five or six in a row. Uh, And with the budgets that we're, you know, trying to keep to with our on-air tickets, uh, sometimes I don't think we give it enough justice when we're trying to attack those. So uh, I'm more of a race-to-race guy. Understood. Uh, Three more questions. A little more fun here. College team you want ASU to beat the most? Doesn't matter the sport. It's an easy one. USC is, and I I don't like Arizona. My niece goes to Arizona now, uh, and I love my niece, but I give her a hard time all the time. They're better in basketball, and that's all they've got over us. They can't beat us in in just about anything else. I don't know if you follow the Territorial Cup, and they've got a billboard between Tucson and Tempe where uh, I'm actually you can it. donate. You can donate to. <laughs> Uh, this this fund to keep this billboard up to remind uh, the U of A folks how many games we've won over them over this span of recent history, not just in football. So, you know, that's that's where we're at there. They can't hang with us outside of basketball, and, and they're phenomenal in basketball. They might win the national title this year, uh, U of A. But USC – don't want to throw shade your way. Don't want to throw shade your way. My niece and nephew both graduated from USC. So if they're watching this, fight on or whatever. It's like I don't know. I can't remember that. Scott doesn't want. By the way, ASU. I've been to one ASU football game, but I've been I've been to this uh, Fiesta Bowl too when they had it there. One of the coolest football stadiums, like between the mountains. There, I've yeah. uh, I've, I've I've climbed Camelback Mountain too. Just love Arizona. Great, great place. Uh, and they've improved that stadium too. So uh, okay. I, I haven't had a chance to be there in, in some right. some years. And I got a chance to go to the Super Bowl there to back uh, Super Bowl thirty oh, when I was back. a kid. Yeah, not a but, not uh, a fan yeah. of the home black uniforms, by the way, for ASU. Just want to throw There's that out. There's too many uniforms. I like the red, I like the red, and I like the traditional like red and yellow, you know, main yeah. color that they have. There. Uh, two more questions, Scott. Best gambling score, and obviously you don't have to give us a dollar amount, but do you recall maybe what type of bet it was or what track it was at? I have not had a giant score. I've had one that comes to mind. It would be Curlin and the Breeders' Cup Classic at Monmouth. I had a big bet on Curlin, and I had a big bet to place on Hardspun. I, I had uh, it in my mind that he was wow. going to hold on for, for second. I walked out of there with a few hundred in my pocket. Um, nice. But the best gambling sto- score that I had, it was, a, it was a day with my father. He had this filly. Um, her name was Minty Flavors. Uh, she was a filly by Shake Albadu. Um speaking of pedigrees and this was when they were running two furlong races uh back in chicago for two-year-olds and she ran in a two furlong race at hawthorne and i can't tell you how much money my father had on him that he bet on this philly but it was a lot and my mom gave me and i was probably i mean i'm it's well past i'm gonna be 40 years old at the end of the month i was probably 14 or 15 years old there you go scott how about that there she is yep shake out so and (laughs) My, my my mom gave me several hundred, if not over a thousand dollars to bet on this filly as well. So I went to the to the window at Hawthorne and bet it and was terrified. And there there it was, nineteen ninety nine. So I was <laughs> I go. wasn't well, I guess I was old enough. What am I is that her debut? Yeah, nineteen ninety nine. Um uh, I could look up her uh no, this is in yeah. order. No. This is in order. That was her uh what fourth lifetime start. You're talking about when she won that race? No, it was her debut. It was oh, her, her first debut one she won. Sorry, yeah. Here, I look at the chart. Go ahead. Yeah, it was a two furlong race. <laughs> really? Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. She won. I'll make it bigger here. And Bring she back won. Memories. There you go. Handily, but she bled too. Apparently, <laughs> she won by two lengths, which is not easy to do going two no. furlongs. And she track tied, record twenty and four. Tra- 
she tied the world record, if I'm not mistaken. That's what my father said. Wow. She was not big, but she was lightning fast. And okay, there my go. father made I, – I don't know how much money I made, but I brought it back to my mom, and I kept you know a couple <laughs> thousand. I guess I was old enough, so I, I – I, no, I guess I wasn't. 1990, I was 17 uh, years old. Anyways, <laughs> uh, that was. Oh, I'm sure you had some did. money on there. Listen, it was Hawthorne. They, they let things go in Cicero. It's all good. <laughs> and my dad walked out of there. Well, he didn't walk out of there. We were getting on a plane to go somewhere. He and I, right after that race, we were going to uh, to Oklahoma. And uh, he had so much money from that score that he had to leave it with one of the uh, jocks wow. agents. I don't know how much money it was, but it was <laughs> a, That's a, a great lot. story. So that was, I can remember that day start to finish and that wow. whole weekend it was one of my most fun memories with my father and that it started with that philly i mean she was an absolute rocket ship awesome. minty flavors shake albadu ran the uh, breeders cup sprint at churchill i'd like to say finished. did he win it did, did he win i'm not sure I, he, I i just remember that name very well um all right, great memories. Uh, thanks, by the way, to Aquavase for me pulling that up real quick. Uh, last question, Scott, again. Really appreciate you taking the time. Hopefully you're enjoying this 10 minutes to post segment and, and your time on the show. And we'd love to have you back, uh, obviously, at, at any time. All right, here we go. I, I know you this, You might be a little bit torn here. Best on-track food. Not which one's better, just your your top choice at Keeneland and Sanita. I'll go with my top choice at Keeneland by far. The bread pudding is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, if someone, I could have bread pudding every day at the track at Keeneland. It is so freaking good. I'm not a big drinker, so I'm not going to say bourbon or whatever. Um, top food choices, those tracks, Scott. Uh, Keeneland, it's the Burgoo because it's consistent and it's okay. good. And it works in April because it can snow in April. And it obviously works in October. So if you need a warm, hearty meal, the Burgoo at Keeneland, you can't miss there. Santa Anita is another easy one. It's the Carver sandwiches. I don't know if you've had the Carver sandwiches. I haven't. I've heard about it. I've only been. I've only been to Santa Anita once, actually. Those are the that that is easy. And then breakfast at Clocker's Corner is always an easy one, but uh, in the mornings. But the Carver sandwiches at Santa Anita, the Burgoo at Keeneland, you can't miss. And I know, like you said, you're not a big drinker, but if you go to the Bourbon Bar right on the paddock side, you can't miss it. They've got some amazing bourbon there. Oh. If you can find the Keeneland uh, barrel pick that is uh, the Blanton's, it's not cheap, but I promise you it's worth every dollar that you spend if you're a bourbon drinker. So get the I've, Keeneland Blanton's. I've been I've been to the bourbon bar because uh, my friend Peter Thomas Forentile is a big drinker within the money. I've done some. I've, I've never done, seen him standing there. Shocking, isn't it? I've done some work for in the money. I, I know Pete and, and JK and those guys, they do a great job, obviously. And uh, so uh, <laughs> I went to Keeneland. I took a picture of the bourbon bar uh, and I said, what should I get? And he, he named like 50 different choices for me. Anyway, Scott, the next time I see you, we got to make sure we do this. I will be at Keeneland uh, April 24th. It's a Sunday. So I'm going to be there. I think it's the second to last weekend of the Keeneland meet next month. I will be, be, be there on site April 23rd and 24th. And like I said, Todd has invited me to come on set on the 24th for a little bit to talk about a race or a sequence or whatever, because he had such a nice time on my show. And again, I really appreciate Todd. It's a, it's a chance of a lifetime. So we have to make sure that weekend we get in touch and have a beverage maybe grab some dinner, whatever you might be available. I'd love to uh, hook up with you at that point. Howard, I look forward to it. Uh, I will absolutely be there. And uh, let's not give Shrupp too much credit. <laughs> no, definitely not. We don't <laughs> listen. His ego is already, you know, way up there. So actually I'm really going down there to meet you and Simon. Todd, Todd is whatever. Who can, no, 
I'm just so glad. Todd Strupp. All kidding aside, <laughs> Howard, I'm so glad that our paths crossed down at uh, Gulfstream and we had a chance to meet face to face, and that this uh, this happened here. And look forward to Saturday. Look forward to seeing you at Keeneland, and uh, let's make this happen on a regular basis. Thanks, Lask. I really appreciate it. Good luck this weekend at San Anita. Cheers, my friend. Take care. Cheers. All right, take care. Bye bye. Wow, Scott Hazelton, that was a lot of fun. Thanks, Scott. Listen, the guy worked like a full shift, and then he stays on to watch our show. I mean, and to be on the show tonight, really appreciate Scott and all the people at TVG who give me the opportunity next month. And Scott, I know you're still listening. We will definitely get you back on the show again, and we will hook up at uh, Keeneland next month for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow, once again, Another pretty darn good on-air talent, Simon Bray, the Lord of the Lawn, will be with us tomorrow. We're going to go half an hour earlier than tonight. We had to go a little bit later today to take care of Scott's schedule. But Simon Bray will be here tomorrow. Uh, and I'm going to say tomorrow, that's Thursday. So you might be watching this as a, as a, a replay on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, Podcasts or whatever. But Simon Bray, Thursday. 8 p.m. Eastern, we are going to chop up a fantastic, huge stakes card at Gulfstream. And there are some serious, if you thought San Anita was fun, take a look at Gulfstream Park on Saturday, a complete skull buster full of races. So please join us tomorrow, Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. That is going to wrap it up for episode 116 of the HHH Racing Podcast. This has been your host, Howard Kravitz, please tune in tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern with Simon Bray. Good luck at San Anita on Saturday, everyone. Take care. Good night.